Section 18 of The Good Soldier, A Tale of Passion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James O'Connor. The Good Soldier, A Tale of Passion by Ford Maddox Ford. Part 4, Chapter 4 and it seemed to her to be in tune with the mood, with the hour and with the woman in front of her, to say that she knew Edward was dying of love for her, and that she was dying of love for Edward. For that fact had suddenly slipped into place and become real for her as the niched marker on a whist tablet slips round with the pressure of your thumb. That rubber at least was made. And suddenly Lenora seemed to have become different, and she seemed to have become different in her attitude towards Lenora. It was as if she, in her frail, white silken kimono, sat beside her fire, but upon a throne. It was as if Lenora, in her close dress of black lace, with the gleaming white shoulders and the coiled yellow hair, that the girl had always considered the most beautiful thing in the world, it was as if Lenora had become pinched, shriveled, blue with cold, shivering, suppliant. Yet Lenora was commanding her. It was no good commanding her. She was going on the morrow to her mother who was in Glasgow. Lenora went on saying that she must stay there to save Edward, who was dying of love for her and, proud and happy in the thought that Edward loved her and that she loved him, she did not even listen to what Lenora said. It appeared to her that it was Lenora's business to save her husband's body. She, Nancy, possessed his soul, a precious thing that she would shield and bear away up in her arms, as if Lenora were a hungry dog, trying to spring up at a lamb that she was carrying. Yes, she felt as if Edward's love were a precious lamb that she were bearing away from a cruel and predatory beast. For at that time, Lenora appeared to her as a cruel and predatory beast. Lenora, Lenora with her hunger, with her cruelty, had driven Edward to madness. He must be sheltered by his love for her and by her love her love from a great distance and unspoken, enveloping him, surrounding him, upholding him, by her voice speaking from Glasgow, saying that she loved, that she adored, that she passed no moment without longing, loving, quivering at the thought of him. Lenora said loudly, insistently, with a bitterly imperative tone, You must stay here. You must belong to Edward. I will divorce him. The girl answered, The church does not allow of divorce. I cannot belong to your husband. I am going to Glasgow to rescue my mother. The half-opened door opened noiselessly to the full. Edward was there. His devouring, doomed eyes were fixed on the girl's face. His shoulders slouched forward. He was undoubtedly half-drunk, and he had the whiskey decanter in one hand. 
a slanting candlestick in the other. He said with a heavy ferocity to Nancy, I forbid you to talk about these things. You are to stay here until I hear from your father. Then you will go to your father. The two women, looking at each other like beasts about to spring, hardly gave a glance to him. He leaned against the doorpost. He said again, Nancy, I forbid you to talk about these things. I am the master of this house. And at the sound of his voice, heavy mail coming from a deep chest, in the night with the blackness behind him, Nancy felt as if her spirit bowed before him with folded hands. She felt that she would go to India, and that she desired never again to talk of these things. Lenora said, You see that it is your duty to belong to him. He must not be allowed to go on drinking. Nancy did not answer. Edward was gone. They heard him slipping and shambling on the polished oak of the stairs. Nancy screamed when there came the sound of a heavy fall. Lenora said again, You see? The sounds went on from the hall below. The light of the candle Edward held flickered up between the handrails of the gallery. Then they heard his voice. Give me Glasgow. Glasgow in Scotland. I want the number of a man called White, of Simrock Park, Glasgow. Edward White, Simrock Park, Glasgow. Ten minutes? At this time of night? His voice was quite level, normal, and patient. Alcohol took him in the legs, not the speech. I can wait, his voice came again. Yes, I know they have a number. I have been in communication with them before. He is going to telephone to your mother, Lenora said. He will make it all right for her. She got up and closed the door. She came back to the fire and added bitterly, He can always make it all right for everybody, except me, excepting me. The girl said nothing. She sat there in a blissful dream. She seemed to see her lover sitting as he always sat, in a round back chair in the dark hall, sitting low with the receiver at his ear, talking in a gentle, slow voice that he reserved for the telephone, and saving the world and her in the black darkness. She moved her hand over the bareness of the base of her throat, to have the warmth of flesh upon it and upon her bosom. She said nothing. Lenora went on talking. God knows what Lenora said. She repeated that the girl must belong to her husband. She said that she used that phrase because, though she might have a divorce, or even a dissolution of the marriage by the church, it would still be adultery that the girl and Edward would be committing. But she said that that was necessary. It was the price that the girl must pay for the sin of having made Edward love her, for the sin of loving her husband. She talked on and on beside the fire. The girl must become an adulteress. She had wronged Edward by being so beautiful, so gracious, so good. It was sinful to be so good. She must pay the price so as to save the man she had wronged. In between her pauses the girl could hear the voice of Edward, 
droning on indistinguishably, with jerky pauses for replies. It made her glow with pride. The man she loved was working for her. He, at least, was resolved, was malely determined, knew the right thing. Lenora talked on with her eyes boring into Nancy's. The girl hardly looked at her and hardly heard her. After a long time, Nancy said, after hours and hours, I shall go to India as soon as Edward hears from my father. I cannot talk about these things because Edward does not wish it. At that, Lenora screamed out and wavered swiftly towards the closed door and Nancy found that she was springing out of her chair with her white arm stretched wide. She was clasping the other woman to her breast. She was saying, Oh, my poor dear! Oh, my poor dear! And they sat crouching together in each other's arms, and crying and crying, and they lay down in the same bed, talking and talking, all through the night and all through the night Edward could hear their voices through the wall. That was how it went. Next morning they were all three as if nothing had happened. Towards eleven Edward came to Nancy, who was arranging some Christmas roses in a silver bowl. He put a telegram beside her on the table. You can uncoat it for yourself, he said. Then, as he went out of the door, he said, you can tell your aunt I have cabled to Mr. Dowell to come over. He will make things easier till you leave. The telegram, when it was uncoded, read as far as I can remember, We'll take Mrs. Rutherford to Italy. Undertake to do this for certain. Am devotedly attached to Mrs. Rutherford. Have no need of financial assistance. Did not know there was a daughter and am much obliged to you for pointing out my duty. White. It was something like that. Then the household resumed its wanted course of days until my arrival. End of Part 4, Chapter 4 Recording by James O'Connor Randolph, Massachusetts, November 2009